Welcome, Wheatland family and friends. Thanks so much for joining us. You are listening to Cross Reference, a podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. I'm Luke LaDuke, senior pastor here at Wheatland, and today we finally stop talking about the parable of the lost sons, but not before Dr. Dan Spanger and I eke out another few minutes together digging around our sermon from this past Sunday on the end of the parable there in Luke 15. Today we'll talk about the elder brother as the scribes and Pharisees and the transactional ways that we approach our relationship with God. We imagine an alternate ending to the story and even an alternate beginning. We spend time considering how radical the Father's love and grace still is, even to us today. And we end up deeply encouraged at how the amazing and at times unbelievable grace of God puts us on mission right here in our own place and space. So again, welcome to the conversation. Thanks for coming along. Wheatland community. We are finally here. Pastor Luke, we've arrived at the final sermon. We don't we don't mean that as if we're exhausted. <laughs> did, did anyone ever think we'd get here? Was I going to find another way to extend this story? Yeah. Could you could you do a could you do a sermon just on the last two or three words of the of the parable? Exactly. We are going to talk about uh, the shades of color that the elder son turned as he became angry and Couple, a couple, a couple, ten or fifteen minutes on the punctuation in the sermon and how That's we right. through it. Well, and and yet at the same time, I don't think it's an end that way. It's a telos, right? It's sort of right. uh, it's sort of the goal towards which you were driving us. I think through the sermon, this is this is the landing zone. This is the this is the airport in a sense. And I and I think you landed the plane, and I, I want to get to that yeah. uh, to to where at least I saw that happening. But I want to go back to something I think we touched on last time, maybe as an intro into this. And that is that you you restated again that the the context here is really important. That mm-hmm. this is not just a you know an Aesop's fable about hares and tortoises and mm-hmm. lions and mice or something. This is this is a serious discussion about the scribes and Pharisees and the people in that culture and day and age. Um, and so I my guess I think you said this pretty clearly, but is this a, a pretty clear one to one? Maybe you should never say that in a parable between the older son, the scribes and Pharisees. Are we are we seeing that pretty strongly? Yeah, I I think we are. And I think that's the thing that struck me or gripped me the most as I began to think about, I don't know if I talked about this in the sermon, but just the way that Jesus answered people's questions in general in, in the rest of the New Testament, like he rarely answers their the question that they're asking. Mm-hmm. But he always answers the question in a way that has this shock and surprise, in a mm. sense. And he's unveiled. And I might have said that in the sermon that it 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 unveils things that questions that they weren't asking that maybe they should have been asking. If you've ever had that so, experience, yeah. so he's 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 answering the question he wished they'd have asked. Exactly. <laughs> or they should exactly. Have yeah. He's he's asking. He turns it into. Uh, an opportunity for them to ask the right question, mm-hmm. in a sense. And the scribes and Pharisees should have come out of this asking the right question. Exactly. And it would have been 
a shock for them to see themselves on the outside of the feast, which that, that whole feast language would have been clear day of the Lord, God's new age, where all things have been put right, and Israel is, has been restored, and they're in, in the fullness and the joy of God's new age, where all the promises have come. And well, I, I put on the inside cover of the order of worship, I had put that Isaiah 25 passage, which I never, <laughs> never did get to, but the idea that on this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. So and it, it goes on, but, but that idea that, um, at, and at the end of it, Oh, it's a lovely passage, Dan. You oh, know, I hadn't read it, Pastor Luke, goodness gracious. On, on this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. I hear things about disgrace in there and tears. Mm -hmm. And anyway, but like, I think that's what that if, if the scribes and Pharisees, and they were, I mean, of course, they killed him later on. I mean, they, they knew what was going on. Mm. They, they continued to get angrier and angrier as he would tell these parables and insert them into certain places. So, yeah, I think they would have definitely seen themselves as outside of this Isaiah 25, God's mm. new age, you know. Mm. And one, one of the things you mentioned when you talked about the father coming to the son is that th this should have been a more disciplinary moment. So what appears mm. to us to be just a normal fatherly reaction, my daughter right. comes to me and says, dad, I'm ticked off that you let, you let Emily have the car because when I was that age, you'd never give me the car. And right. I, I, you know, oh. I would say, okay, honey, I get it. But when, when the dad is what you say, stepping alongside, use the word condescension. So this yeah. is, this is, this is a turnaround again here that you mm -hmm. would have expected the father to do something different. Yeah, I, I think to me that was really interesting. I don't think before I sat with this parable uh, during this sermon series, I had ever quite seen the parallels between the elder brother and the younger brother. And I, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago about the older brother comes in from the field. I'd never quite picked up on what Jesus is doing as he crafts this parable. Mm. Um, and, and I think the point was, yeah, both of them are lost sons, obviously. And part yeah. of it was what we started with, where we, we often just read the parable thinking about waywardness and, and, and the rebellious younger son sort of thing. But yeah, I, I, definitely, I definitely agree that um, the, the way that Jesus tells the story left little to the scribes and Pharisees' imagination. And you see that as their hostility increases towards him more and more from this point. Do you think, do you think in the parable that Jesus in some ways communicating the scribes and Pharisees, if you accept my coming as a condescension? Mm. And I, and I, I wonder, because you know, they've got all sorts of political reasons that they're caught up in, yeah. all demands that things be righted in the world and Israel and Rome. And these are all sort of that is, is he one, in one sense adjusting their expectations? Like while all those things are out there and important, that's not the issue. The issue is the father has condescended to stand alongside you and welcome you back into the feast. Is, is, should that have been like the, the worldview altering moment for them yeah. that they saw this? 
I, or I making think, too much out of it. No, I don't think it is. I, I think, in fact, in one iteration of the sermon for last week, which I wound up cutting, I probably, I, I keep a file. I don't know if you know this. This is like how the sausage is made. Um, I have a file that's called for this. So it would have been uh, for May 9th called cut material. Oh yeah, and, yeah. And so there's a bunch of stuff that gets onto that document. And I think that was in that where I felt like one of the points that Jesus was making with this parable was I am God in your presence. I am Yahweh come to you in love and salvation and you still will not recognize it. You know, it's sort of that John one, he came to his own, but his mm, own mm. received him not. Mm. Yeah. And I, I wonder there too, because if the, the reference, I always took that statement of the of the older son, the reference point in his mind was really just entirely the younger son. Mm. I, I'm seeing myself and all that we've got, and I see what he's doing, and I'm blinded in a sense, blinded in a sense by that. But if the father's condescending, is that supposed to be reorienting? And and I can see that being a scribe and Pharisees issue, right? So right. I'm okay with Jesus until you sit with sinners. Now now I'm really upset mm -hmm. as if that's the problem. Right. But the, but the real, that it, whether or not that's the problem, the good thing is the father wants to condescend and love you. So why would you care? And this goes back to another parable. Jesus talks about, you know, people working in the vineyard and being paid, even if they show up mm -hmm. in the last hour oh, yeah. of work, right, right, right. you know, are you upset that someone else is getting something getting mm -hmm. God's love mm -hmm. when God's love should be what's inspiring you? Is that, is that, am I making sense there? Yeah, no, I, I think, I think there are, that's the hard thing about doing one of these parables yeah. is, that they are inspired and they are layered and they take on, uh, they take on a richness and a, and, and a, a, yeah, layer, a layering effect that I think all of that is true. Like, yeah, I think the, the older brother is struggling with that, but if, if I had to pin one thing, the, the older brother is struggling with what the younger brother got in that, that parable about the workers that would come at the 11th hour or whatever and get the same wage yeah. is, is, is a great example of that. But I do think that in this, and again, I said I cut it from the sermon. <laughs> I, maybe I shouldn't have. But well. the, the biggest thing was God has come and it's me and you continue to refuse me right. and it's because of these other things it's because of sinners and law and lawlessness and 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 like real difficult things for israel as she as messiah has come and is not doing away with the law but transforming and and fulfilling it in in ways that they were having difficulty imagining so i think that's why at one level, I wanted us to have some sympathy for mm. elder brother and for scribes and Pharisees. And I, maybe we've talked about that in past podcasts is that we just often are thinking too thinly and too monolithically about who the scribes and Pharisees and i.e. elder brother were. Yeah, that's good. Because we do get caricatures, right? We get this cardboard cutout of a very, you know, a very angry, selfish, greedy, mm -hmm. older brother. And I think if you put it back in the scribes and Pharisees, what, what interests me about the way you're, you've talked about it is that the, the law, the part you'll now call the transactional part of, the, of their religion, their relation with God, is the very thing that's protecting Israel from, from Rome and the Gentiles. I mean, it's not like this is just a, 
Sunday morning denominational approach. And I go, this Mm -hmm. is their entire lives and entire world. Right. And I can understand that sympathy. Like this is the one thing that defends them, defines them. It's, it's what their identity is based on. And Jesus Mm -hmm. here is messing with that. Right. That's a a hard thing to accept. It's, It's a really, really difficult thing. And yeah, it, it goes back to, I think, the prophets. I, and I, maybe I said that at some point um, in this sermon, something about as Jesus does this, he's taking up the chorus of all the prophets. I mean, he is yeah, the final that, prophet, yeah. and he's taking up that chorus from all of the prophets whose, whose chorus all along to Israel was, yes, this law does is our boundary marker it is our identity it is our um it is the way in which we know we have been marked out by god this is our uh this is our primary way of knowing who we are in the world yeah and and when that gets messed with it's hard but the prophets of one voice always said um you honor me with your lips, but yeah. your heart is far from me. Right, right. So yeah, and, I, and that's, I think, again, that just for us, and maybe there's more parallels there, because I think even culturally, sometimes we can say, identify these parts of our lives and say, well, this is what, this is what makes me a Christian. This is, this is who I am. And then we sort of hunker down on that. And then we start to say, well, you're not that you're, you're mm-hmm. not part of what we are. Do we at times miss the fact that what makes us Christians is that God condescended not that we're sort of locked down, not, not that there aren't issues to step down. I don't mean there aren't, but I mean, no, I just things that are not essential that we then define as essential. The same way the scribes and Pharisees have defined something here as essential. Yeah. That they couldn't hear Jesus when he right. was saying the most essential thing, which is right. I have come down to you. Yeah. My presence. This is right. what, what I have always promised that I would <laughs> dwell with man right. <laughs> and I will be their God is in front of you. Yeah. No, I think that's true. I think it's true. And I, and I think it's one of the great, um, well, of course, it was the great heartache for the Messiah uh, that yeah. his incarnation as he, you know, maybe as he's on his way, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem yeah, yeah. and he pulls over to the side of the road and weeps that how often he would have longed to gather them to himself mm. under his wings as a mother hen but they would not. And then, I mean, I guess that's a story. You're right. I see how that is the call of all the prophets. Right? It's always been the, you know, God always says, here's what I promise you. Oh, the law is how you prepare the ground for my presence. Mm-hmm. And then the law, either they ignore or they turn into an idol. Mm-hmm. They're, they're interested in everything else God has to offer other than himself. And I think of that passage in Exodus yeah. 32 and 33, where they've turned God into a calf and, and mm. God says, well, you'll, you'll get the calf, you'll get the land, you'll get it all. You just won't get me. And Moses is right. smart enough to say, well, then we're, we're we don't not want it. <laughs> yeah. If you're That's not, makes Moses so great. Yep. Yep. If you're not, if you're not driving the bus, we're not getting on. We're not getting on. And the Pharisees yeah. have now decided to get on the bus without God, I guess. Is right. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll drive it. Yeah. <laughs> we got this thing yeah. called Israel. Yeah. We'll it happen. Exactly. Um, so, so you've defined this as transactional, um, mm-hmm. and I, I think mm-hmm. you defined it well. Maybe can you go back and and redefine that for us? Yeah. Um, so, a- again, and then, yeah, we're talking about this law law keeping, and and um, so for me, in my mind, the younger brother was like absolutely clear 
that he had failed in his duties as a lawkeeper. I mean, if, if we're calling that transactional, like the younger brother has no qualms that he had absolutely bombed out on keeping the transactional relationship with his father. Like I do this and you do that. And, and, and you, he had violated all of that. And so when he comes back, the way he seeks to address it was by becoming a better lawkeeper mm. in a sense. Like I want to come back and be a hired servant so that I can pay off my debt and, and I've shamed the family. So I'm going to come back and I'm going to work hard and I'm going to begin to reestablish my life here, but not as a son, as a hired servant. Uh, and as I sat with the, with the elder brother and his response to the feast and his unwillingness to come in, when that phrase, when I read that phrase, look, these many years I have served you, it, and, and maybe I was pointed towards this by um, Kenneth Bailey. I, I, I can't remember. I don't want to claim that I, other people I'm sure have recognized this, but it hit me when that word, um, when, I, when I began to see the parallel between where the younger son clearly knew that he had failed all the time. And now where the older brother is saying, I have been faultless in my service of you. Hmm. Um, for me, that was this idea that, ah, okay. So it seems to me that the, where these two stories of these lost sons converge is in the way in which they conceive of success as a son. Hmm. And it was in, within this framework of transactional, I do this and you accept me as a son or I haven't done this, and no wonder you can never accept me again, so I have to come back and, 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 and keep this. So I think that's where that transactional idea really began to hit home for me. Hmm. And is that, and help us, because I, I think that that's not unusual, right? I think we all go through mm. this. Um, yeah. And there seem to be spaces in scripture where transactionalism seems to be a thing God seems to say, if you obey my commandments, you'll be welcomed into the land of milk and honey. And if you don't obey my commandments, like I think there's some part of that is woven into the life of God's people, but mm -hmm. it seems to have gone beyond the pale here. Can you yeah. talk at all about where, where that sort of transactional character in nature, because even a son has it, right? If you're going to abandon right. the household, there's certain right. consequences. Yeah. You're not saying there's no consequences. Right, right. But there's something about this that has obviously ruined the familial relationship and replaced it with something transactional. Yeah. Can you speak at all about where that, where that well, line might or might not be? Yeah, I don't know if I can, but okay. I think one of the things that I'm thinking about as you ask that question, if, if, I, if I'm hearing it right, is that as I think about the whole story of, of God's relationship with humanity, even when he puts Adam and Eve in the garden and says, do this and live, like he basically what he says, obey and you will, their, their obedience was never a static um, obedience. It was yeah. an obedience towards something greater, the gift of eternal life and eternal presence with the father and, and son and daughter familial stuff that would transcend where they were when God put them in the garden to keep these 
to keep it and to um, um, cultivate it and make it. And I think when God gives the law to Israel, as we talked about back in our Galatian series, um, the law was always moving towards Jesus in God, in the presence of his people in face-to-face relationship. Now, this is where it has always been going. So I think the place where this goes off the rails in a sense is when the law becomes a static way to relate to the father rather than this um, temporary and provisional maturing, like necessary, absolutely necessary maturing component, Mm. but that isn't static. It's moving towards full maturity. And that idea of Jesus, um, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor Mm. with God and man. He doesn't just keep the law and then get rewarded. There is this movement in which Mm. he, he is obedient, and then he is um, made son at his resurrection. It's the mm. vindication of his mm. obedience and his law keeping. Resurrection is the vindication. So that's kind of technical and maybe a little abstract, but I think it's in the background of all of this that the law, and maybe what I say here is in, in between sons and father, is that this transactional way of relating through service and servitude Mm. is a very static way of viewing the relationship to Mm. the father where that was only until the maturity and, and the wisdom has accumulated into the inheritance Mm. in in a sense. And I I don't know, that's kind of, that's kind of abstract, but. Well, I think, I think that agrees with Paul's statement in Galatians, the law is a tutor or a mentor or a teacher. There's obviously somewhere the law is going. It's not, it's not meant to be the final thing. It's you right. rise to your point. It's it's what yeah. we're growing into. And I guess if you were to say, you know, what the son should have seen is the rules when you're young about discipline build the relationship between you and the father. They're not the they're not the ultimate point of this. I, I think two of my kids. I mean, if I use discipline on them, I I want to I want to shape their character so at the end of the day they have a deeper we have a deeper relationship between I'm not trying to right. replace the relationship with a set of do's and don'ts right but and I, and I guess I guess the I guess the reason I asked this is because I think this is where Christians if we're like Israel and I believe that we are mm-hmm. um, this is the same this is the same cliff <laughs> that runs right up to the road for us as it did Israel we're gonna if we're gonna tumble we're gonna tumble here mm-hmm. um, and so I, I I see parallels between my own yeah, God is transactional. I pray if you love me, you'll do this. But am I just wanting the things? I, I think of Jesus talking about the pearl of great price and the treasure in the field. Mm-hmm. You know, am I the field's the place where it happens? Am I interested in the field or the treasure? Am I feel am I yeah. interested in what the law can give me or see yeah. that as a loving relationship I have with the Father? Right. Yeah, and yeah. I, and and I think like in our own in our own relationship with God as as Christians who, who long to be welcomed in the love and grace of God that we sort of see in this father, in this picture, or in this parable, that really is the place that we are always um, 
deeply, I think, in well, let me let me just be anecdotal here and, sure. and say my own personal struggle, and and maybe you can attest to this as well, is what do I do with this radical grace that seems to really undo me and leave me facing myself in really uncomfortable ways? What do I do with this radical grace? It's so uncomfortable at one level to be, um, to face this sort of invitation. And I think that's part of the elder brothers. <laughs> I mean, that's, I, I don't know, there's, there's a bit of psychologizing in there that I think one has to be really careful sure. about when you're looking at these stories. But like, like I said before, a parable is a story it's, it's like a house that you're invited to wander around in. There's mm. not, you know, and, and try to imagine what the vista is from this room or that room. So I, I, I get that. So, but I, I think it's the radical affront that grace is to that transactional way of living that we can really wrap our minds around in a way that we have a hard time yeah. comprehending grace. Like grace isn't just amazing. Sometimes it is completely uh, un-understandable. That's a terrible word, but it is. <laughs> it defies our grasp. Not just it's not just amazing. It's more than that. It defies our grasp in mm. in profound ways. I think. Mm. And I and I think and, and I think what you said before we put them together. This is where. I'm guessing you're thinking that the scribes and Pharisees had the opportunity to come to that this, mm, that this, yeah. this moment was to say to them. So now that you see how this, this happens, yeah. will you, and, and you said, and I think you hinted at this and we talked off offline just briefly about it, but is Jesus leaving the end of the story open here as an invitation? Yeah. I mean, we're, oh, we're a little, I, think, I think you said Rep said he yeah. didn't finish the story, but yeah, and I think I think that was actually your point on uh, before we talked. So I, no, I that's, that was your point. I, that's well, I my, but the rich. I, I think what you said that I I found helpful just a few minutes ago was the idea that um, he's leaving. Yeah, he's leaving the story unfinished, and we want to wonder about the answer. But really, he's it's this the way he leaves it is the way the father comes out and comes alongside of the elder son mm. in his anger and bitterness. Mm. It's this beautiful, you know, picture within a picture almost. Um, so I'm going to leave the story in the way that the father comes and, and, mm. and, and leaves the son with this entreaty, this coming alongside of, and yeah, I think, I think that imagining the answer, actually, we could, pre like, I, we, we've spoken about this as well, like, imagining what the scribes and Pharisees, as the elder brother, their response is to all this. Well, we kind of know that story from history. Mm. Yeah. Although Nicodemus, mm -hmm. right, sees, sees this and gets it. He, he yeah. somehow, somehow gets this. That's right. Yeah. Yep. There, there are people, there are scribes and Pharisees who grant and and believe and and are compelled by this but in general like it the ant what how does the story end i mean and i thought i told you a few moments ago i thought about a whole other ending to this sermon 
and the sermon series, which I didn't do. But the way the story ends is the older brother gets a stick and kills the father right. in a, right. in a right. sense. Right. That's, that's right. how this unfolds. If you really want to know, and that goes to your parable about the vineyard um, mm. or, or the tower, the, right. Yeah. The vineyard. Yeah. The vineyard where the father that was leaves. Le- and... Yeah. That was rented out. To, yeah. Rented uh, out, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and so that's, that's interesting because I, you know, you try to ask how does, where is Christ hoping that the audience comes to? And, and in one sense, this is a very open plea to repent, to see yeah. that the relationship by God is, is being reformed by him for mm-hmm. them. And in another sense, the history of the moment actually right. determines how this is going to go. Right. And, yeah. but, but I do think it's real. And this is what I thought was insightful that you pointed out. It's really important to note how Jesus actually leaves the story. Mm. And it is with this invitation, mm. this reminder to the older brother that it is fitting to celebrate mm. because your brother who was dead is alive again. Your mm. brother who was lost has been found. Mm. And like he never changes his tone. He never quits being kind and entreating mm. and persistent into that life. So mm. like at, at this moment in the story of, and, and of course this Luke is telling this story of Jesus. Um, it, it's in fact in Luke's gospel where he says, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man, that whole messianic development, if you want to say mm. it, um, this is a point in the story where Jesus is really pressing it. Mm. Uh, his love and his welcome and embrace. And it, mm. it does change a little later on as they continue to, to press against that invitation. Would you, would you, could we conclude this way? And I thought as I was listening to your sermon, I wrote this, I wrote this phrase down sort of as a question mark. Would you say in a sense that, um, because I think where you, where you end up and you say grace is the, is the mm. defining feature of the relationship, yeah. father, younger son, father, oldest son, and it's radical in both senses, um, probably beyond the listener's expectations. Right. So how, how's the response go? And we, we see the younger son, we don't know exactly how the younger son responds. We just know the offer has been made and apparently the party's happening. Right. The father leaves. Mm-hmm. This moment of condescension, the older son's response to this, um, I think you summarized as repentance. Yeah, that repentance should be the older son's response. And the question I had as I was thinking is, do you see repentance as the gift God has given us to counter the transactional nature of the relationship we typically have with the father? Yeah, and and I think to me that flows right out of something I said at some point in the um, in the sermon, and. And that was that if the older brother is a stand-in for Israel in general, not maybe not everybody, yeah. you've got Nicodemus, there, there are others that clearly be, but if the older brother is a stand-in for, for Israel in general, what we're eavesdropping on is a conversation, this plea between God and his people to repent and return. And if that's the case, then can't we extend this as a conversation between Jesus and his church mm, in mm, a sense. Mm. And, and, and I, 
I understand, I'm not trying to collapse all of history here, but I, I think there's a legitimate way to make that case yeah. that what we're seeing can be extended to us today as a call, uh, an awareness of the ways in which we relate to the Father in which we um, struggle to see the grace and the mercy and the love that he has shown, the demands, that the expectations. Uh, that, that was another thing that I, I found personally helpful. So like, you know, I'm writing this stuff out of my own heart, mm -hmm. in a sense, out of my own struggles to experience God's love in more profound and growing, uh, a growing um, deep and broad experience of God's love. But that idea that um, I can see where I become that one who refuses to go into the feast and is in desperate need of repentance when I find myself in the grip of anger and resentment, mm -hmm. those sorts of things are always, they're not just, um, I, I think that's what Jesus is doing here is saying, you have to have another way to see your anger, your mm -hmm. resentment, your jealousy, your, your pettiness, like, mm -hmm. It's not simply mere sins against the younger son, or, or it's not sins against your brother. This is a fundamental difficulty for you, my dear child, to grasp the depth of my grace and my welcome to you mm. in what I have done in Jesus. Mm. And I think mm. that's a profound conversation. Yeah, yeah. I think you're, yeah, that's, that's good. I, I, as I, as I've listened through the sermon, at least the last two sermons and then our conversation here, I'm, I do think that, you know, we, we walk as Christians, this difficult line between judgment. We, we've got to make decisions. This is right. And this is wrong. And mm -hmm. the church has got to stand up for things. Then mm -hmm. we've got this other side. We're trying to be gracious and loving. Yeah. Yeah. It seems yeah. like one always trumps the other. And I think maybe one of the reasons why that happens is we, is we use the reference point of whether or not we've changed the other person mm. or whether we've loved the other person. And I think that becomes really complicated. But if what, if what Jesus is saying is here is define your love for your younger son by my relationship with you. Yeah. Does that strike that's, the ground for us? Yeah. That's, that's really lovely. That's challenging, but it's yeah, lovely. Usually challenging. And, and I think um, like, as we find ourselves in our own, cultural moment how many times have i used that phrase as a lead-in <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah. but it's true it's it's true um keith and i were no tucker york maybe oh yeah i, I tucker york from westminster dropped by um you know westminster is always coming to me for advice and so he, <laughs> the, the struggling you know, church yeah, on the other side yeah, of town our, there our daughter church up the street <laughs> um anyway we we were talking yesterday about um just the ways in which um, you know, part of the dialogue used to be, okay, how do we wear this gospel, this reformed faith? How do we wear it winsomely uh, so that we're, we're, our convictions are our convictions and they're clear, but we're also um, humble and, and, and seeing the usefulness and the value and the wisdom in other parts yeah. of the church that don't look exactly like us that sort of thing. And I was saying that used to be the thing. And now it's a different, I think I have felt it as a different conversation. Now, all of a sudden, just within your own sort of silo, there are new divisions within the silo. Yeah. 
And now you're, we're having trouble talking within Reformed theology, within our own denomination. Sometimes there can be a struggle to talk across the different aspects within that one. So anyway, it's just an interesting, it's an interesting thing that I, I think follows along the lines of what you're saying is that there is a challenge for us to hold our distinctives uh, I guess I'm kind of far afield from where we were at in the sermon. I don't think so. But but there's a challenge for us to hold our distinctives, but and and still remain committed to our brothers and sisters in healthy, uh, humble conversations about real distinctives. Right. Well, here so here would be the way maybe to put it back in the into the parable, um, an alternate ending, which apparently are very big these days. Do yeah, that's right. Alternate alternate ending would be the older son going. I don't understand what you're doing with the younger son. What he did was wrong, but but I love you, Father, and therefore yeah. I want to come in the feast. Yeah. And yeah, still holding the family rules, but the but the reference point for the decision is not what I think you did or didn't do with the younger son. The mm-hmm. reference point is you're showing me this love and grace, and therefore I'm going to stay yeah. yeah. with you and in that relationship. Almost as if this idea, if you can reconcile the younger son to yourself then certainly you can reconcile me to my younger brother. Even if I, even right. if at this point I can't grasp it, I have real issues, which I think right. he did. Legitimately. He does, right. Yeah. Um, even at this point, if, if, if you can reconcile, I can trust you and love you to reconcile him to you, then somehow I'm willing to trust that you can reconcile me to him. Yeah. And maybe it's, yeah only in the feast in god's new day where all that gets worked out yeah but but the point i think is really profound there and that is that what how we define ourselves and our relationships isn't what we because i think it's a moving target right you've got people around you it's like well they're for this but they're for that their theology and we're just constantly trying to triangulate who we're for and who we're against yeah and not that that's not important as you say but but if if the total way we decide that is how everyone else is and isn't getting along mm-hmm. and we we miss the point of this is that this is being established yeah. by the father and he's the judge of all things yeah. and his holiness will ultimately matter but it's my relationship with him that has to define so do we go out into this world as forgiven people mm-hmm. um you know loyal to yeah. their father and loyal to his right his law and loyal to his rule because i, I want to go back to something else you said there luke which i think is really profound and that is that we never lose obedience but to the law, but we actually take it on in a whole new way. Mm. I think, you know, mm-hmm. if, if we do it because we're afraid of God, like we're afraid of being judged and being wrong or something like that. But actually, as we grow, we come to love his character. And we're not, you know, you don't go out and say, I'm against homosexuality because I think you people are bad. It's like, I love my father so much and he calls this that I want you to come away from it too. Right. Because I, I'm not calling you to the law. The law is a way of coming to the father. Right. Like somehow in there, there's something we've got to come to grips with. Yeah. That I think helps us avoid the older son catastrophe here. Yeah, it really does. And I think I think that love and trust of the father and the life that he is offering as the only real way for human flourishing. Like that's actually that's actually a a deeply Christian Hmm. commitment is that it's only in a proper relationship of the creature to the creator and maybe that's a terrible the human to our humanity right. to their to to god there's only right. that's right. the only way to really flourish as a human like yeah. that's 
That's basically what we're saying in all That's this. Right. And yeah. so anytime we're making these distinctions, whether it's in human sexuality, whether we're talking about uh, gender dysphoria, people, our, our, our neighbors and our friends who are confused about what their gender means for their identity and, and all of that stuff. What we're saying, it's not, a, um, it's not an abstract moral point that we're right. trying to make. Right. It right. is a loving your neighbor sort of point. Like right. love your neighbor means love your neighbor and share with them the way to be human and the way to flourish as a human. Right. Yeah. And so I, I think that's an interesting turn on on a very sort of popular a popular way to think um, about loving your neighbor. I mean, I know that I, I we have to. This is another discussion for another podcast. So I'll shift <laughs> gears and come back. But but to say um, that grace. I think that's what the beauty of the father at the end of this parable is, is that he's saying my, and Paul says this in another way, my grace is sufficient right. for you. Like all of your fears, all of your hurts, all of your pet, my grace is sufficient. And if you will yeah. enter into this, my love will, will work that out and right. it will be sufficient. You can't imagine how it'll be sufficient from where you stand. You can't imagine that you could ever reconcile yeah. to that young little snot who did that to the family or, or whatever. <laughs> but my grace is sufficient. And it, if you will sit with that and recognize that here um, and come into the feast. Well, let's, so let's do an alternate beginning. Well, the alternate beginning of the, if the older son oh, was who yes. Israel had called him to be, yes. would he have gone to the kid in the pigsty and say, look, I want you to stay right. You're happy here. This is where you've always wanted to be. I'm going to go talk to dad and make sure that he's okay with you living in the pigsty. But there wouldn't have been that, right? It would have been, okay. brother, come home. So um, one of the things that I wanted desperately to do with this, and maybe I made a, a, a glancing blow at it at some point, was to say the elder brother actually failed at the beginning of this mm -hmm. story. Mm -hmm. um, and, and this is not my wisdom. This is the wisdom of this guy, Kenneth E. Bailey, who spent like decades living in Arabic communities, just like hmm. what would have been something similar to the story that Jesus tells. But he made a point early on that the elder brother was actually meant to be the one who discouraged this rift between the younger son and his father in the first place. If he'd been being a faithful elder brother, hmm. he would have been working from the very beginning to mediate between the, the father and the younger son so that this didn't get to the point. And then if he had been the elder brother that he was meant to be, if the younger brother did continue to insist in, in going his way and doing his mm -hmm. own thing, he would have been the one who was looking for his younger brother, like you said, and trying to seek him and bring reconciliation. If he had been being the elder brother that he was meant to be, when the younger brother returns to the edge of the village and is kind of out there still way far away from the house, he would have been the one that ran across the village and got the elder brother and brought him back into the father's presence and worked mm. out these things. Mm. And um, of course, that's such rich um, yeah. 
thinking about who Jesus was as elder brother. Um, right. and, and in a sense, and again, I didn't get into this because it gets kind of heavy biblical theological stuff, but Jesus as true Israel. I mean, that's a, a very key idea in, in understanding right. Jesus as Messiah is that he comes, as I've said before in the podcast, he becomes the one who grows in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man as Israel, the scribes and Pharisees were meant to lead the nation in doing right. Jesus the true elder brother, as he's called in other places, is actually mm. true Israel. Mm. And um, who goes so that, and seeks that, out the lost brother. Goes and seeks the lost brother. Brings him back to the father. Brings him back to the father, which is exactly what Jesus does in his incarnation. That's right. Yeah, um, that's right. I mean, that's the movement of an elder brother. That's brilliant. Yeah. For, for his people. And well, that, you know, that connects to so many other things. I think Israel's responsibility to be a kingdom of priests mm-hmm. means that you're mediating. And so you're the whole mediate. nation was to mediate. Um, yeah. And they have failed to, obviously, Israel at this point, by asking the very question, why are you sitting with sinners? Obviously, they've neglected the role of mediator. To they, In other words, you should have been the one sitting with them long before I got here. Right, right exactly. <laughs> I should have just been joining you at table. Right, right. Yeah. Quite a reversal in that situation. Yeah, yeah. And you think, about, you think about maybe even the... The, fail, the unspoken failure of Adam in the garden mm. to not mediate between Eve and the father. Yeah. Or to not grab the serpent and do something right. with that when it, when it starts talking in, in these directions. Yeah. Right. And, and how Moses then, I think we've mentioned earlier, becomes the model of who the mediator will be by standing between and, yeah. and, and willing to take loss if necessary yeah. to stand between the father and the, and sort it and, and, and putting the snake on a gibbet in a sense yeah, right. when, you know, when there's you look and be healed to the snake on a, right, on, right, a right. on a, on a, on a pole. Like there, you know. yeah. yeah. That's, that's good. So I, I think the, there's some good application. I, I, I see us in both yeah. cases, you know, you see yourself as the younger brother sometimes. Absolutely. In this day and age is the church is increasingly one of the only places where, any semblance of the law of God is being supported. And there's yeah. good reason to, right? I think, yes. I think as you said, yes. there's, there's a reason why the church is maybe not always doing it lovingly and there's issues there, mm-hmm. but the fact that it's standing the ground, the law of God is a good thing. It's a thing it ought to be doing, and but that in, it needs to be doing it as an elder, as the good elder brother. Yeah. And it, it has to be doing it because of the way grace leads it back hmm. to the law. And, and that's why to me talking about grace in that at the end of this parable was so important Mm. because it's only grace that transforms us and matures us in a sense Mm. to, to, to live out that law in the Mm. ways in which it was intended. Mm. Um, And, and so I think that's when I think about our, our culture and our moment and our community the church has to become this radical community of grace. That is not grace as a radical community of permissiveness or, or right. whatever, but a radical community of love and grace and persistent presence. Mm. Um, and that's hard work because yeah. as I've said all along, if we're going to do that, somebody has to stand up Jesus has absorbed the cost of our reconciliation, but we have to stand up in our relationships and absorb. So the elder brother should have in that moment absorbed all of the hurts and pains 
of the younger son, not mm. dismissing them, but trusting the father enough and his love for him. And mm. I think that's a sense in what the church is called to be, mm. is that we have to absorb all of that, knowing that God's grace is sufficient, even mm. as we feel the press and the stretch and being misunderstood and mischaracterized and, and um, yeah, partly because of our own fault, but partly also just because of the nature of, of antagonism towards the presence of God in the world, right. yeah, and I, in I think his said, church. Yeah, and I think you said it well before, and I think the one thing we would have to say is you, you can be happy and um, feel happy in this world, but if you're, not, if you're not following God, if you're not obeying him, you're not going to flourish, and that's an argument mm-hmm. the world's not going to want to hear. I mm-hmm. wonder almost if you know, they do these now where they, they do like a, a movie and then they show another movie that was off center from that. It's almost backstage of that same. Oh, yeah. And I wonder if I wonder if what we are here is a little backstage because this mm. this parable is spoken to a situation which we don't share. Right. But if you get backstage of it, you can see a whole nother way to appreciate the fact mm-hmm. that, you know, the son, the, the oldest son is not criticized for standing his ground and defending the family honor. That's not the problem. Right. He and didn't come into the feast. Yeah. Right, right. It's coming to the feast. And so right. we're the guy in the in the background watching it from a different angle, going, Oh, yeah, we, we can't just abandon the father's reputation here. That's not that's not yeah. the call of the church. Right. We must come to the feast and celebrate the loss that's right. now been found. And really, you know, reconciliation always goes a lot better over a good glass of wine. <laughs> <laughs> and I assume you mean communion. Yes. Yeah, that's I know, exactly I, yeah. right. Yeah. <clears throat> the, the smaller no. the cup, the better. Yeah. Even as they're coming in half full these days. I don't yeah. Know. Yeah. We're, I, I think uh, it's cutbacks at the session level. I said, okay. don't, <laughs> well, don't touch my salary. You, you give them less wine. <laughs> when we're talking about the lavish feast of the Lord, we really want a half of that small cup. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, I, I do think this is helpful, Luke. And I um, I know it's hard for, for listeners because it's been a long time and it's been broken yeah. up by Easter in one sense. But I hope I hope to see, to see that that all of this has been coming down to this point not not that it's all reduced to it but i I think you can see how this really captures what what christ has been trying to tell both younger and older brother here yeah and and i think what this says to us as a community is we have such good solid work to do and such a joyful reason to do it i to me this I think of what a unique opportunity we have in a new way in our own cultural time to be a brighter light and and a clearer testimony to the love and grace of Jesus than maybe we've had in a while. And yeah. It, yeah. as daunting and as painful as it feels, yeah, it is it is a, a remarkable time for us. Yeah, I agree. And as we as we end here, maybe we can just give us you can give us a hint about where we're headed next. Uh, why I did this. Um, <laughs> we are doing the minor prophet Obadiah. Ooh. And uh, so since uh, Bruce and I transitioned back in 2016, I, I um, every year after Easter, this is a little bit different because I was coming back to finish up the, the, the parable here because it got away from us in earlier in the year. But every year after Easter, I uh, five years ago, six years ago, five years ago, I decided to do one of the minor prophets in order. So in 2016, we started with Hosea, and then we did Joel, 
and then we did Amos. Last year, which would have been the fourth year, um, we were moving to weekly communion and the session and I worked out that after Easter, I would teach um, on the church. I would do a series of sermons on the Lord's Supper. So that's what I did last year from Luke 24 and into Acts 1. So I didn't do it last year, but this year we're picking back up okay. where I left off in that. So we find ourselves in Obadiah. And wow, you don't just <laughs> jump into Obadiah. So I feel bad for you people. Um, oh, it's going to be a night preparation. Just live stream it Sunday. Steal your Don't courage. even bother to show up. No, Stick I'm your kidding. courage to the sticking place. Yeah. I wonder, is, <clears throat> well, yeah. and I, I guess there's, if there's enough cultural work to do to help us understand a parable, I'm sure there's a lot of cultural work to be done yeah. here to help us understand. The good news is out. it's only one chapter. <laughs> it's 24 <laughs> verses. And is that 24 Sundays? It, yes, exactly. Uh, 48. I'm going to do them in half Sunday, <laughs> half verse increments. No, we're actually doing it in two weeks. Uh, there's okay. a, a nice natural little break, one through 14, and then 15 through the end. Um, and so this Sunday, we are going to be the, the title. I have it here somewhere in my hot little hands. Uh, the, the first Sunday's sermon is entitled, God's justice and faithfulness. And the second uh, Sunday's sermon is the kingdom belong is the Lord's. The kingdom mm -hmm. is the Lord's. That's a phrase right out of uh, at that. In fact, that's the very last line mm -hmm. of Obadiah that the kingdom mm -hmm. is the Lord's. And I thought that's a lovely way mm -hmm. for us to conclude um, this poem of divine judgment uh, on Edom. <laughs> but there are some really interesting stuff when you start digging into, uh, I've asked a couple of ruling elders, and I won't put you on the spot, Dan, okay. here, but asking, um, what do you know about Edom? What do you know about mm. the Edomites? Who are they? And uh, I won't identify- Yes, exactly. I won't identify these elders who did not get the answer <laughs> right. But uh, yeah, so there's this there's this really fascinating connection. So so the judgment is coming because Edom, who is Esau's family, has taken advantage of Israel, and I think historically, and not because of, I'm any great historian, but because the commentators all agree that th what they're being judged for is the way they treated Judah when or the southern kingdom of israel when she's being ransacked by the babylonians in 586 mm. so what edom or esau esau's family the edomites do to israel as she is fleeing is they they loot cities they loot israelite cities right mm. along with the babylonians they kill israelites that are uh looking to become refuge refugees that are fleeing from this mm. and there's this stern judgment and we'll get into it all in the next two weeks but it's a really really interesting um a, a look at god's justice and his faithfulness mm. um in 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 bringing his justice about but in the middle of it all um whose kingdom it really the, the who whose kingdom will you be oriented towards mm. in the middle of, of all of this? And that if you live for one kingdom or this kingdom, you're going to miss the fact that the kingdom is actually the Lord's and all of this is bringing, bringing uh, God's world to himself. Mm. And, and well, Lord. let me, if I can encourage you, 
uh, biblical literacy is is on the decline. So yeah. the fact that our people will sit through two sermons and now know where to find Obadiah on their tablets. Right. right. Um, exactly. <laughs> and and we'll know that oh, Edomites means Esau. You know? <laughs> any any That's, little bit here that we yeah we glean is good work. So it is. It's so I'm helpful. glad for that. Good. Well, thank you, Pastor Luke. This is good. I look forward to uh, walking through Obadiah with you in the, in the upcoming weeks. And then we've got um, maybe another round, uh, rounding up the discussion on on race uh, with yeah. the podcast, and then jumping mm-hmm. onto another topic after that. Yeah. So I think this has been good work, and I'm grateful for I'm grateful for the time that you've taken yeah. to sort thank of walk you. through this. So thanks thank for, you. Thanks for thanks for initiating all this, and I think we're continuing to discover new ways to um, make ourselves open and available to important Mm. discussions from within the church and um yeah that's great thank you dan thank you luke Friends, thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Cross Reference, a podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. You can learn more about our church and discover additional resources on our website, wheatlandpca.org.